This is Out of Office for Thursday the 28th of March 2013. The Out of Office Controversy. Welcome to the Out of Office Podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? Oh, very well, very well. We're going to have a controversial topic today. We're going to be talking about something that's been in the news recently. And it was about a month ago, uh, Yahoo CEO Marissa Mayer made a ruling that all staff at Yahoo need to be physically in the office. In other words, no more out-of-office work. And it came out in a memo, which was marked confidential and not for forwarding. But, of course, everything that is marked (laughs) confidential and not for forwarding immediately gets forwarded and put on the Internet. And it started a whole firestorm of discussion and debate and arguments. Uh, And interestingly, not just in the tech media, but also in the mainstream media as well. And the, the, the discussions went in a number of different areas, so things like feminism and the impact on uh, working at home mums and dads, but mostly mums, uh, and then, then got onto topics like workplace productivity, innovation, collaboration, and even personal choice and happiness. So it's about a month since it happened, and now that the dust has settled a little bit, let's look at the story and some of the debate that happened around it. And we we certainly don't uh, claim that we've got knowledge and insight into everything related to to this issue, because neither of us is a work-at-home mum, for example. Uh, But Chris is a full-time telecommuter, and so we'll discuss some of the issues around this, including things like productivity, convenience, comfort, and collaboration. So I guess we should start with a little bit of background, and Chris, I'll ask you to lead off on this, and then we'll get into some of the issues. Yep, no worries, Gihan. So for Listeners who don't know who Marissa Mayer is, she's the newly appointed CEO of Yahoo. I say newly appointed. She joined Yahoo in July of last year. Uh, But prior to that, she spent over a decade at Google. She was there almost from its inception. She was employee number 20. And in the intervening decade or so, she rose to hold many senior positions. Uh, And then she jumped ship and she went from uh, a tech titan like Google to Yahoo, a former tech titan, but whose fortunes have dwindled in the intervening years. So she's taken uh, taken the helm at Yahoo when they're in a bit of a spiral. They could they're almost circling the drain, as people sometimes say. So she's introduced several uh, initiatives since taking the helm, but the most recent and most controversial of these was uh, the one you've just alluded to, Gihan. It took the form of a memo that uh, Yahoo's HR head, Jackie Reese, circulated to all Yahoo employees, which, as you said, essentially cancelled all out-of-office work arrangements come June of this year. So starting from June, all Yahooers are going to be required to work from the office. Several disgruntled Yahooers, it would appear, leaked this to the All Things Digital website and that lit up the blogosphere. So the initial reporting suggests that uh, this was this was initiative of Marissa Mayers um, and as well as wanting to improve interaction between employers by having them working face-to-face, uh, it was also suggested that she'd looked at Yahoo's VPN logs. Now, a VPN is a virtual private network, and it's simply a way of using the public internet to connect to private intranets in a secure fashion. So, Marissa, being a bit of a data nerd uh, from her Google days, she'd scrutinized these logs, and it appeared to her that people were abusing the out-of-office work scenario. They were slacking off. They weren't logging in. And so, I think she wanted maybe to, to deal with that problem as well. So following uh, the uh, the leaking of this memo, uh, there were several critical commentators uh, 
Richard Branson, for instance, on his blog, he said, give people the freedom of where to work. This seems a backward step in an age when remote working is easier and more effective than ever. A couple of academics chimed in. Jennifer Glass, a sociology prof at Texas, she said, it's sad to see a large employer go in this direction. There is no functional reason that people who work from home can't just be just as productive, sorry, can't work just as productively as they do from the office. Uh, another prof at UCLA said the telecommuting ban is a risky step that could further damage Yahoo employee morale and performance and undermine recruiting efforts in a hotly competitive job market. This policy certainly goes against the grain. That's one of the main reasons it's catching so much attention. So as well as those uh, those critics, there was a lot of speculation around why Maya had done this, things like that she's a bit of a workaholic and, it's, and out of office work isn't part of her work style. Uh, that out-of-office wasn't working at Yahoo and was too hard to fix, so it was easy just to revoke it, that Yahoo's doing badly, Yahoo is doing out-of-office, and therefore out-of-office work must be, a part of, must be part of the problem. And uh, other speculation that uh, this is going to lead to good employees leaving Yahoo for workplaces where flexible arrangements are available. It'll lead to higher stress and lower productivity, higher fixed costs in order to accommodate a larger workforce on site, and uh, more traffic congestion and pollution. But it wasn't all bad, Gihan. Donald Trump chimed in, sprung to Maya's defense with a tweet saying that she's right to expect Yahoo employees to come to the workplace versus working at home, and she's doing a great job. So there you go. Yeah, and I'm glad that you talked about both the pros and the cons, Chris, because there are there are pros and cons. And yeah. it was interesting you started by quoting Richard Branson saying, give people the freedom to where to work. And <laughs> don't necessarily want airline pilots to be working out of office. That's right. Or their stewards. <laughs> That's right. And even the other comment about um, the quote you gave earlier about people who work from home can't work just as productively as they do from the office. And productivity is one of the things that uh, that we're going to talk about here. Uh, and it may not be the only thing. And perhaps Yahoo's decision was sensible and rational, but we'll talk about that. In fact, what we thought we'd do is rather than focus on the Yahoo decision and what it means for Yahoo workers, let's look at this issue as it relates to out-of-office workers in general. And so we've got five separate issues. And I think the way we'll run this, Chris, is a little bit of an interview. So I'll ask the questions and um, I'll invite you to share your experiences, insights, because you are you are a full-time telecommuter, a full-time out-of-office worker, as am I, but I don't work for somebody else and, and you do. So you're the sort of person who might have been dragged back to the Yahoo's head offices or, or you'd lose your job. So let's look at these five issues. So let's start off with the number one, which is the productivity one, which we just alluded to. And there are a number of studies that have shown that out-of-office work, uh, if you do it properly, can actually lead to greater productivity. So not, not only that there's no loss of productivity, it can actually be greater productivity. But it's interesting because I still get people asking me how I can get any work done when I'm working from home. So in your experience, Chris, what are the potential pitfalls and, and how do you overcome them? And I'm actually interested to in know what you do personally as well to manage your productivity. Sure. So I get that question a lot too, Gihan, and I think when people are asking it, they're thinking about all of the distractions that uh, they would have when they were that when they're at home. So things like you know your family members and other uh, your family and other members of your household interrupting you or making noise in the background that can be a distraction. Also at home, there are always chores and household tasks to be performed. So you might be tempted to put a load of laundry through or do some cleaning or do the do the washing up. I'm never tempted to do the washing up. <laughs> um, also at home, you've got the TV and the internet. So people feel that you know they might spend most of their day watching DVDs or surfing the net. 
when you're at home, you've also got uh, visitors. So family and friends might drop round for a cuppa or people might be delivering parcels or people might be coming around to do the garden or, or household chores that I'm not doing. And sometimes uh, your home can be a noisier place than the office. So uh, whether it's noise from inside or outside the home, that can also serve as a distraction. So there are all of these potential distractions that people might be uh, concerned about when working from home. The solution that, that I have to these is about staying focused. So there are several ways that I tackle that. Firstly, my workspace is a home office. So I've got a dedicated study that's upstairs, away from the main living areas, and it has a door that I keep shut when I'm working. We also live in a fairly busy street, so noise can be a problem. So I sometimes play background music to mask that noise. It's not always possible to do that. There are certain tasks that I can't do with music playing. To minimise interruptions, I've let my family and friends know that during work hours, I'm not to be interrupted during standard office hours. Uh, it's not a hard and fast rule. In the afternoons, I'll sometimes take a break and uh, catch up with my daughter after she gets home from school. I also try to eliminate distractions, so things like turning off the notifications on my email client and instant messaging. So I don't take the phone off the hook. I, I, that's a what we call an urgent uh, communications channel. So I leave the phone on the hook, but some people might choose to take the phone off the hook as well. Um, I also plan my work day. So I maintain a to-do list. I update that regularly and order things according to priority and I tackle my tasks in order of priority. And I pace myself. I use a technique that's similar to what's called the Pomodoro technique, which involves uh, a burst of 40 to 45 minutes of focused work and then a five-minute break. In fact, I think that's more like what our friend Alyssa Curtis calls a work sprint. Um, uh, the standard Pomodoro technique, I think, is 25 minutes. And there's other things like tracking your tasks and, and reviewing your the way you've worked in order to improve things. So that's what I do to, to stay focused, and that helps me deal with interruptions and distractions. And, and everything you're talking about, Chris, just seems obvious once you state it. And also, it just seems to be what you'd have to do in an office environment anyway. So it may not be family and friends interrupting, but there'll be colleagues and clients and other people interrupting. And so a lot of those things you're talking about are being focused and uh, managing your personal productivity. And the same whether you work from home or work in an office. Precisely. Okay, so that's productivity. And as we said, there's a lot of research that says that productivity can actually be improved for out-of-office workers. Um, the second thing is collaboration. and Maybe that's not as simple because many of the objections to, the, uh, to working out of office is all about collaboration because out-of-office workers uh, are less accessible, they're harder to accommodate for the people in the office and perhaps more difficult to collaborate with. And in our book, Out of Office, we actually have three chapters in the book that deal with this. We have a chapter about cooperation, collaborating and accommodating. But we have to admit that these are about trying not to make out-of-office work a disadvantage rather than saying how great out-of-office work is for collaboration. In other words, it's trying not to make it a negative. So what do you think, Chris? Uh, do you think there's a significant advantage to being in office rather than out-of-office? And what do you do, again, to interact more effectively with your colleagues? Yeah, I think it's swings and roundabouts, Gihan. So there are advantages to working in the office rather than out of office. So for the advantages, you get the advantage of having face-to-face -face interaction, which has higher fidelity, for want of a better word, than online communication, which is usually by text or audio or video. So when you're discussing something with someone face-to-face, -face, the conversation flows more easily. There are visual and audio cues that you can perceive more easily and get a better sense of, uh, you can communicate more 
better with uh, with those cues available to you that aren't necessarily available when you're communicating online. There's also the opportunity for serendipitous interaction when you're working in an office. So whether it's bumping into people at the water cooler or in the corridor or at the, the, the campus cafeteria, all of those situations, those serendipitous interactions offer the present the opportunity for you to discuss your work in a more casual and freeform way that can often lead to new insights and innovation. And finally, it's easier to convene impromptu meetings when you're working in the office. So if there's a, a, an issue that needs to be tackled with some sense of immediacy, you can do that uh, in an impromptu fashion, which is much harder when you have distributed teams who might be in different countries or different time zones. So that, that serendipity thing is quite interesting, isn't it, Chris? And if you go back to Yahoo and Google, the companies that Marissa Mayer worked for, uh, Google is a company that has very little out-of-office work, but they provide a very strongly collaborative environment within their office to try and encourage that sort of serendipity and collaboration. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, as an ex-Googler, I think that's what Marissa Mayer is trying to emulate. She's taking a page from the Google Playbook uh, and trying to get people back into the office, bumping into one another and uh, having those serendipitous interactions that she hopes will lead to greater innovation and new products that Yahoo can, can implement and deploy. Yep. Yeah. So... Those are the advantages to being in office, but there are disadvantages too. And it's usually those interruptions and distractions that we alluded to earlier and endless pointless meetings that are real productivity killers in the in-office workspace. So as an e-worker, which is a phrase we use in the book to denote a full-time out-of-office worker, I obviously rely heavily on online interaction rather than face-to-face -face interaction. So some of the principles and techniques that I use with online interaction is that I make sure that I use the appropriate online communications channels. So I've got choices between things like whether to send someone an email, call them on the phone, send them an instant message, set up a teleconference or post something to our internal wiki or blogs. The criteria for making that choice are things like what we call signal quality in the book. So uh, whether so you can do things like filtering your email so that spam is automatically trashed or that certain messages automatically go to particular folders without you having to handle them manually. Or you can, uh, if you want to, you can screen your telephone calls. You can know that at certain times of day or from certain callers that uh, you don't necessarily want to answer those calls. There's also the idea of whether communication needs to be immediate or deferred. So if something is urgent, then perhaps uh, the phone is uh, the best way of communicating or an instant message. Otherwise, if you can defer the, mess if you can defer the response, then you can use something like uh, email instead. And finally, another criteria for selecting a communication channel is whether it's a one-way or a two-way communication. So if it's one-way, then perhaps posting it to a wiki or a blog is the appropriate choice. For two-way, then you might use something like the phone or instant message or, or an email message. I think another thing to consider when you're cho choosing which kind of communication channel you use is how formal or informal you want to make the communication. And I've discovered this myself, Chris, when I use, uh, for example, a webinar where people can hear my voice and they can watch my slides. I sometimes have small group discussions by webinars or online meetings, I guess, where people are in the same situation, but without video. But as soon as you add video on there, you can choose to make it more informal if you want to. And a Google Hangout is a great example where if I run a Google Hangout, I can make it very informal because people can see each other's faces. They, they, they 
tend to be less formal than they are in a uh, in a situation where they can where they can see slides and or they're focusing on documents on the screen rather than seeing people's faces. Okay, that's interesting. It's 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 not something I use a lot, Gihan. So it's an uh, an interesting insight. Mm. Um, additionally, uh, something else I do is I try and accommodate the the people I work with by letting them know about my availability. So simple things like I publish my calendar in Outlook and that means that if someone wants to set up a meeting with me, they don't need to send me an email saying when am I available. All they need to do is look at my calendar which I, in which I block out the times when I'm unavailable and then people can easily see when I am available and, uh, and make arrangements that way. I also advertise, I've started advertising my time zone more widely because uh, there are some people I might not have dealt with who don't know that I work remotely, that I'm in Western Australia. So uh, I've added my address and time zone to my email signal so that at least if I've sent someone an email, they've got a clue that uh, I'm not necessarily in Europe or the US. And uh, we've also started using a tool called MS Link at work, which is a, a sort of a, it pervades all of the MS productivities, the Microsoft productivity suite. So it allows you to set up a profile. You add a photo, you can have a status message and add your location. And at first I thought this was a little bit dinky and I didn't bother doing it myself, but then uh, as I started receiving emails from people, uh, I would see pictures of them, and many of these people I'd never dealt with face-to-face. I'd never met them before, and I found it really, uh, it added a personal dimension being able to see, just be able to see what they looked like. So uh, I chose a very flattering picture of myself. I added that to my profile. I try and keep my status up to date, and I've added my location as well, which helps people know that I'm in a different time zone as well. So we call that showing yourself uh, as a principle in the out-of-office book. Yeah, great, great. So I think with collaboration, probably the jury might still be out, and maybe you can get close to as good collaboration out-of-office as you can in in office. Yeah. The, so the next thing that and, and collaboration kind of leads on to this, uh, the, the next issue we'll look at is organizational culture. So one of the main reasons cited by Yahoo for, for their new rule was the impact on their culture. And uh, the, the memo says, in part, they say this, they, they say, we want everyone to participate in our culture and contribute to the positive momentum. From Sunnyvale to Santa Monica, Bangalore to Beijing, I think we can all feel the energy and buzz in our offices. So, yeah, again, we'd have to say there's a definite buzz about being part of a physical team, but I reckon there's also a buzz about being part of a global or distributed team where you're kind of working from where you like on your own terms, but you can contribute to a shared goal. Uh, what's been your experience, Chris, in your organization? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. And I think it doesn't. it's not necessarily about being out of office because many companies, Yahoo included and the one that I work for, are large multinational uh, organizations. So they have teams that are distrib- distributed across the globe in different countries and time zones. So whether the team members are out of office or simply in different offices, and in Yahoo's case, from Sunnyvale to Santa Monica, Bangalore to Beijing, developing organizational culture needs to accommodate distributed teams. So in the book, we talk about a principle which we call Think Global in the context of collaboration between and within distributed teams. And it's about accommodating things like uh, differences in language, spelling, customs, currency and time zones. So again, it doesn't matter whether your workers are remote workers or just uh, distributed across the globe. I think uh, you need to make that accommodation anyway. 
we use uh, several tools uh, at the organisation that I work for that help to foster and uh, accommodate uh, or develop an organisational culture across our globally distributed companies. So there are many electronic newsletters that are devoted to sharing achievements, whether it's by region or by um, division of the company or for individual projects and people as well. Uh, there are also internal blogs, and uh, they can be for individuals, for projects, or for particular uh, segments of the business. And then for more technical information sharing, we have wikis uh, that uh, people can collaborate with. Yeah, great. Okay, now that's this a good point, which I hadn't thought about, that this whole idea of building organizational culture, it happens whether or not you have out-of-office workers, if you've got any sort of distributed workforce. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. And, okay, so we look at the next item then, which is all about innovation. So innovation in the out-of-office worker is another common objection to out-of-office work is how much it harms innovation. And if you ask most people, they'll say that innovation works better when you are in close teams, I mean, physically close teams. And some of the best ideas come from, as you said, around the water cooler conversations, Chris, or putting yourself in unusual situations like working in the cross-functional teams and so on. And... I know some people look at the great innovators of the past and they typically are people who work by themselves, but we'd still say that now that time has long passed and most modern innovation comes from teams, not individuals. Now, that's, that's, I think if you ask most people, that's what they'd say, but there, there is a growing trend and a growing body of research that talks about valuing, valuing introverts. So these are the people who do do their best work by themselves. And I remember in the 1950s, there was this great idea called brainstorming. You were around in the 50s. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I wasn't even a twinkle in my parents' eye at that time. (laughs) But I think I'm pretty sure it was the 1950s. Alex Osborne started this thing called brainstorming, which is a pretty popular fad at the time. And uh, But the research found that it doesn't work. It may not have been the 50s. It may have been more recent than that. But it was very popular for a long time, and many organizations thought brainstorming is the right way to, to foster creativity and innovation. But the, the more recent research shows that that doesn't work. But what does work is a kind of reflective kind of brainstorming where people go away and do their own thinking and then bring it to a meeting. And, and yet, like most Western business culture, still favors the people in meetings who speak out and they speak first. But a lot of Eastern business culture favors and rewards exact opposite. So they respect people who listen and uh, have a bit of silence while they're digesting information. And then when they speak, it's quite, it's quite thoughtful and well-considered. And I guess as out-of-office workers, because we're not constantly in meetings, we do get a lot of time to, to reflect, think, and work before sharing ideas with teams. And what's, what's been your experience there, Chris? Yeah, I think you're right. I think both are important, Gihan. I think uh, that quiet reflection fosters creativity and then being able to share those reflections with a team helps to to take those ideas to, uh, to innovations, to new innovations, to develop them beyond just the idea and thought. Um, when it comes to innovation, uh, I think the data, it, it appear, it, Google seems to have the data to support the assertion that innovation benefits from face-to-face interaction. So at Google, they've elevated the measurement of innovation in interaction to a science. So they've gone to great uh, great analytical lengths to measure things like the lengths of queues and benches in the cafeteria in order to maximise interaction by employees in the hope that that interaction is going to turn into new innovations and products from Google. 
So while I don't necessarily have hard numbers that's going to challenge Google, challenge or support Google's data, I've got the next best next best thing, anecdotes. <laughs> so last year I spent a week on site. It's something I do every year or two. And my experience then backs up the idea that face-to-face interaction fosters innovation. So I had many face-to-face meetings. I had several water cooler moments. In fact, they were espresso machine moments. And from those inter- from those interactions, new project projects and ideas were hatched, and they have since delivered new tools and insights. So while that week was really unproductive, I didn't write a single line of code, I didn't do any development, it was very innovative. Yeah, and I think that if you ask Marissa Mayer, the, the primary reason for doing this out of uh, for bringing people back in off, into the office, I think she would say innovation, and I think she'd probably say that innovation trumps all the others. So even if everything else was true for the out-of-office worker, if you create a more innovative organization, she'd be happy with that for Yahoo. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess that leads on to the, the fifth thing. Oh, by the way, I looked up while you were speaking, Chris, I looked up brainstorming on Wikipedia. And sure enough, it was Alex Osborne in, in 1953. Ah, uh, spot and on. So, yes, it's been, a quite, it's been around for a long time and there's still organizations that do it, even though the research is showing that it's really not that effective. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? But uh, eventually you have to subject it to ground truth and get some real data on it. And that's what Google does a lot. And Marissa May is uh, borrowing from that. And the data suggests that face-to-face interaction is better. Yep, yep. Okay, so now let's look at personal choice because the, f- the four issues that we've covered so far have all been from the employer's point of view. So how to be more productive, how to collaborate better, how to improve the culture and how to foster innovation. But what about the employee's point of view? And one of the points we make early in the book is that working in an office is a pretty recent phenomenon. So just because we can only ever remember work being done that way doesn't mean it's always been done that way or that it's the best way. And uh, employees have rights too and they're entitled to a say in how they work. And until recently, out-of-office work's just been difficult, so it's just been the norm that you work in the office. But now that it's easier for many organizations, we should consider things like whether employees are just entitled to it, um, even if it does uh, cost them in terms of productivity or collaboration or team culture, even innovation. And I remember reading a quite contrarian blog post uh, recently, Chris, in the wake of this uh, the dis- dis- decision by Yahoo. By Yahoo, the blog post was called Working from Home is Like Saying No to Drugs. So the author's point was that the benefits that the employer gets from in-office work need to be weighed up against the benefits that employees get from out-of-office work. And the drugs uh, the drugs analogy was this. He was saying, look, if you could give people performance-enhancing drugs to help them be more productive and more focused during the day, then maybe you should do it. But of course, you can't do that because they'd be right and people would just protest. They just wouldn't accept it. But maybe, you should, but that, you know, that's an example where the employee's rights have some have some sway in what the employees are allowed to do employees sorry allowed to do and uh, i guess that's what he's saying that if you if now out of office work is feasible and it's something that can be done well maybe employees should be entitled to it and we shouldn't just assume that they have to go into the office because that's the way it's always been done Sure, sure. But I think uh, companies are largely self-interested entities. Uh, Marissa Mayer's decisions shows that to be the case with Yahoo. They're focused on the bottom line and if they could force us to go to the gym and get eight hours sleep a night, uh, avoid alcohol and take smart drugs, I think many companies would, Gihan. But uh, 
rather than doing that, smart companies like Google and Apple and now Yahoo have created campuses and they've got free gyms and cafeterias offering free and healthy food because they know they're not doing this because they want to be nice people and uh, have uh, happy, healthy employees. Well, they will have healthy, happy employees, but they're doing that because those kinds of services offer a positive return on investment. Yeah, and I think you're right, Chris. And I think I, I guess the difference is that they're not forcing people to go to the gyms uh, that they're offering or go to the cafeterias and buy the healthy food. But they but they are giving them that option. And yeah. uh, I guess that's the argument is yeah, you can you shouldn't force people to work in office either. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 taking a purely self interested look at it. Uh, the, the data tells us that uh, out-of-office workers are more productive and they're happier. Uh, and that happiness leads to, to uh, improved retention rates, so you're not losing employees. But where, where we suffer, and the data shows us this as well, is in, in terms of interaction. So uh, particularly where that uh, has an effect on innovation. And so that's why Google, Apple, Zappos, and now Yahoo want all their employees on site so they can interact face-to-face because that's more effective than doing so online. But I think this is going to change. I think that gap between uh, uh, the fidelity of face-to-face interaction and online interaction is going to close because you and I have both observed the radical effect that the Internet has had on ways of working over the past quarter century. In just the last couple of years, Gihan, we've seen significant improvements in video conferencing alone. So I predict that it's not going to be too long before we can use the internet and various new tools to interact as effectively or almost as effectively as we do face-to-face. And it's kind of ironic in that it might be a company like Google, Apple or Yahoo who is drawing all of their uh, workers on-site and don't have out-of-office offerings that uh, one of these companies uh, create the innovation that makes that online interaction possible. <laughs> I think you're right, Chris. So we don't care if they have to work like uh, cubicle <laughs> monkeys as long as we get the benefits of it. <laughs> In fact, I insist they do. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a good place to wrap up, I think, Chris. So we talked about the five issues, uh, which are productivity, collaboration, organizational culture, innovation, and personal choice. And I guess... There's no way that we can say that all five are going to have the same, uh, that it's going to have the same impact on all five in every organization, but it is something to consider. So do you have any closing comments about this, Chris, this whole controversy? Yeah, I think I think you've summed it up nicely there, Gihan, that it swings and roundabouts. There's no clear advantage one way or the other uh, across any of those uh, those those criteria that we've looked at, but that I think we can look forward to improvements in the way that uh, the internet helps us work out of office. It's why we wrote the book, because we could. it was becoming easier than ever to work out of office by taking advantage of the kinds of online tools that the cloud provides. And I think we're going to see further improvements to the point where perhaps uh, some of those differences that we've talked about today are going to be resolved. Yeah, no, I'm really, I think that Marissa Mayer has done us all a big favour whether the Yahoo employees think that or not, I'm not sure. But certainly for us, just to, to raise this topic, and it, it really did uh, become a big news topic, and not just in the tech media, which quite often a lot of these are, yeah. but even in the mainstream media, people were talking about work because, because we're talking about how, how work works and whether work doesn't work and when it doesn't work. So it really did become quite a, 
quite a topical discussion. And I'm really pleased for that because it gave me the chance to uh, read a lot of interesting viewpoints and uh, really current viewpoints because lots of people had their say about it. And uh, we, we all got the chance to, to have a read through some of that and hear some of the pros and, uh, pros and cons of all the arguments. So I think it's a great it's a great discussion and it's certainly one that uh, isn't ending and I hope that it doesn't end and just doesn't fall by the wayside because it is something, as you said, that's going to, that is changing and it's going to become more and more common for organizations and, uh, and workers and people just uh, where they try to blend what they do with work and what they do at home. Absolutely. So, Gihan, where can people read more about yeah, yeah, we working should, out of office? We should definitely t- tell them about our book. <laughs> which they can get at outofofficebook.com. And uh, we've still got a couple of the physical, the print books available, but we've got lots and lots of e-book, uh, e-books available. Great. And uh, we'll also uh, share some of the links to some of that um, reportage and uh, discussion that you, that you mentioned on this particular topic in the Out of Office blog. Yeah, we will. That's a, that's a good point. So then that's available also at outofofficebook.com. Great. Well, I've really enjoyed this topic, Gihan, and discussing it with you today and sharing it with our listeners and looking forward to talking about something else in about a month's time. Yeah, that'll be great. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Gihan. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book, Out of Office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.